How can we describe mental health other than completely mental? Mental health isn't about cute pictures of dinosaurs on Instagram. Mental health is not cute or dainty or quaint or pretty or likeable or retweetable. Mental health isn't about yoga. Mental health can't be cured with a hobby. Mental health isn't about getting outdoors and getting fresh air. Mental health is physically, emotionally, and of course, mentally constraining. You're lucky if you can go to the toilet or take a shower or brush your teeth or get out of your pajamas. Mental health isn't about swimming or running or a gym membership. I repeat, mental health can't be cured with a hobby. Mental health isn't about writing a diary or a journal. Mental health can't be rationalized. The reality of mental health is about not being able to physically get out of bed, even with all your loved ones in tears begging you to. The reality of mental health is taking daily medication and putting on piles of weight and constantly sweating and being too embarrassed to ask for your prescription over the counter in case someone hears. The reality of mental health is thinking you are going to die, but then realizing that all the things that made you, you, your personality, identity, love for life, energy and enthusiasm for your studies and work already has. Simply, mental health is mental. And yet we are repeatedly told about the analogy if we had a broken leg, we would go to the hospital and it would be fixed and everyone would understand. But why are we comparing mental health with a broken leg? Mental health is nothing like a broken leg. It's broken friendships, broken confidence, a broken personality, a broken body and a broken social life. A broken you. Instead, we should be comparing mental health to cancer or a terminal illness because that's what it's really like. It spreads to every little bit of your body. It affects everyone in your family. It makes you physically and emotionally sick and it feels like a death sentence. You think this is it, you've reached the end. And yet we are told that as a society, we should better understand mental health. But how can we as a society better understand mental health when even the sufferer doesn't? It can't be understood or rationalized or even defined because like cancer, it's fluid, and however much we wish we could, it can't be contained or managed. This is what mental health is really like. The reality of mental health. And it's about time somebody said it. Welcome to MPOD, a podcast produced by graduate students and staff at the Senator George J. Mitchell Institute for Global Peace, Security, and Justice at Queen's University Belfast in Northern Ireland. My name is Julie Norman, and I am a research fellow at Queen's and a staff producer of the podcast. In most episodes of this podcast, we'll be discussing different topics related to peace, conflict, social justice, but in some episodes, we'll be deep diving instead into issues related to students' experiences and well-being. So for this first episode, we decided to focus on mental health. We'll hear first from Eilish Cox, the student producer of this episode, who is also the intern in the Mind Your Mood campaign at the Student Wellbeing Center here at Queen's. We'll then be joined in the second half of the episode by John Finnegan, 
who is the Safe and Healthy Relationships Advisor at QUB. And in that conversation, we'll also be discussing topics related to John's work in relation to consent, sexual abuse, and sexual harassment on campus. These are important issues, but we know that they're not always easy to talk about, and we recognize that they might be sensitive for some listeners. We'd like to remind all our listeners that the Queen's Student Wellbeing Service offers a drop-in every weekday during term time from 12.30 to 1.30 p.m. You can also contact the Wellbeing Service at 028-9097-2893 or by email at studentwellbeing at qub.ac. UK. And we'll be repeating that information at the end of the podcast. I'd like to now introduce the student producer of this episode, Eilish Cox. Eilish is a student in the MA program in Conflict Transformation and Social Justice. She moved to Belfast from Chester one year ago, and she's been interning with Mind Your Mood at Queen's for the past two months. Eilish, thanks for joining me for the first episode of MPOD. Thank you for inviting me, Julie. Uh, Eilish, could you start out just by telling us what is Mind Your Mood? What is that campaign all about? Yeah, of course. Mind Your Mood is a student-led mental health and well-being campaign uh, for Queen students on campus. It was established in 2013 uh, after a group of students came together grieving the loss of their friend to suicide. And it complements the work of the Student Wellbeing Service, uh, which is located on the top floor of the Student Guidance Centre. But overall, Mind Your Mood is all about workshops, events and activities for Queen students. And these workshops are about equipping the students with understanding how to manage stress, improve emotional resilience, and to also be aware of the symptoms and signs of common mental health issues, such as depression, anxiety, and stress. Great. And what is your role as the Mind Your Mood intern? So my main role is to raise awareness of Mind Your Mood on campus and also student well-being in general on campus. Now, I've only been in the role since February, so I'm still kind of getting used to my role and what it entails. The main point of the role is about organising workshops, events, activities with the help of the Mind Your Mood committee. And the Mind Your Mood committee are a group of 10 students from all different institutes and departments, all different ages. Some are from Northern Ireland, some are international students, some are commuters. And I wanted that to show the diversity of the student population. So they had to apply for the role. And the main purpose of their role is to help me come up with ideas, help me promote the project, attend the project when they are free from their studies and their revision, It's also about learning about the university. I'm fully aware I've only been at the university since September. I've only been in the role for two months. I don't know everything about Belfast. I don't know everything about Queen's. And therefore, I want to learn from students themselves. So, for example, we have students who have never been involved in mental health before because they never felt it was suitable for them. We have students from IT. We have students from the creative art department as well. So it's not just the stereotypical psychology student who normally gets involved. We're trying to get those people that have fallen through the net, that want to be involved but never felt like it was part of 
what they should be partaking in. And that's great because you have to be aware that my needs as a student studying conflict is completely different to someone studying IT or studying the arts or music. So it's really important that we have this diversity to understand the full length of the issues that we have on campus. That sounds excellent. It sounds like you've been doing quite a lot in a short amount of time. I'm wondering, why do you think the Mind Your Mood campaign is still so relevant at this particular moment? Like, why in 2019 do we need a Mind Your Mood campaign? For me, the Mind Your Mood campaign is so important because it's led by students. Um, Every decision we make is made by students. Every event, every workshop, every activity we put on, the, set, the students are at the centre of that. They partake in it, they fundraise for it, they attend the events. And I think that's so important. I think the student wellbeing team is great, but they can only bring so much to the team because they're adults, because they're no longer students. So I think the campaign is still so vital because although we're talking about mental health here today and it's always in the media at the moment, I don't think it's showing the reality of mental health. We see the celebrities talking about the stigma and the media presenting it, almost presenting it in a glamorized way. And no one's talking about the reality of the situation on the ground. No one's talking about the horrible symptoms that people face. And I think we need to be talking about the real symptoms that students face so that nobody feels alone. You mentioned that you're planning a number of different events. Can you tell us um, some of the events you'll be holding over the next few months? Yeah, of course. So the majority of the manual mood events will take place over the exam period, which this year is the 29th of April till the 17th of May. We currently have lots of ideas. We're still trying to finalise all these ideas we have. But the main event we are wanting to host is on Wednesday, the 15th of May, and that will be at the Treehouse in Elms. And I wanted to put on an event that talked about the transition of students returning home during the summer. The university prepares us very well for moving into university life in September. But no one's kind of discussing how hard it is to return home for the summer for those three months. Your loss of independence, losing your friends, maybe not being able to keep in contact with them can be very difficult. Also, just the lack of structure in your life can be very difficult to deal with over the summer. And also we have to take into consideration that some of our students aren't going home to a happy household. So I think an event like this, although celebrating what we've achieved this year and the memories you've made and the friendships you've made, it's also very important to discuss the pressures of going home as well. I also think it's very important to reach out to the international and Erasmus students as well. So for example, two years ago, When I was at the University of Chester, I partook in a year abroad in Spain. I was teaching English there and it was the best time of my life. I absolutely loved it. And the year prior to going, the university prepared us for how to deal with culture shock and how to fit in in life in Spain. But no one ever discussed the reverse culture shock and how to fit back into normal life on return to England. And that was oddly the strangest and hardest part of the whole year. I think we definitely need to be helping our international and Erasmus students more than what we're doing currently. We need to be discussing the things that the university aren't discussing, which sounds very obvious in practice, but the things we aren't discussing, we need to be putting emphasis on that because that's how people fall through the net. So 
we are going to be hosting events just for international students and also for the students at Elms as well. That sounds excellent. And I'm glad to hear that you're thinking about when students go home for the summer, because I know for us on the staff side, there's only so much that we can do during the school year, but you're mindful of the fact that students are going to be away for three or four months. And so um, it's really, really great to hear that Mind Your Mood is keeping that in mind and trying to equip students with some strategies for when they're off campus as well. Um, Eilish, what does an average day look like for you? Oh, it really does vary. Every day is different. So I only work 10 hours at the moment. So it's a part-time internship. And although I am doing a few extra hours at the moment, because obviously we have the exam period coming up and so many of these events will be held there. But every day is so different. So I can be meeting with the committee. I can be meeting people external from the university with mental health charities and organizations. Two weeks ago, I recently attended the Student Minds Student Charter Roadshow, which is the biggest uh, student mental health organization. And we were discussing how different universities all across the UK actually have the same issues and we're trying to achieve the same things. And sometimes, especially at Queen's, you feel almost as if everything that happens at Queen's is just because we're at Queen's and you feel almost contained and in a bubble. So it was great to come out of that bubble and realize that actually we're all kind of trying to achieve the same thing. So that was a great event. Also, I'm meeting with lots of different people all across campus. So just this week alone, I've met with the residential team at Elms. I met with the library team. I met with the international team. It's just meeting as many people as possible to try and get our message across and promote Mind Your Mood. Great. And when you mentioned going to the conference and meeting with other universities, was there anything that stood out as maybe something that another university is doing that you would like to see Queen's consider? Yeah, it was great to learn about all the events they've been putting on. There's definitely a massive focus at the moment on self-care and how we can help distribute distribute self-care packages over the exam period. So something so small can actually have a massive impact. I know that the students are so busy at the moment, they're probably not going to attend workshops. And I'm just as busy as well, so I completely understand that. But just having maybe, just passing somebody a nice note or what we call positive postcards with just a nice message on can have a massive impact. And that seems to be working across all campuses and universities. And also now in the digital age, it can reach such a wider audience. So if one student Snapchats it or puts it on Instagram and then hashtags mind your mood, like that can go massive. So you're not just reaching one person. Also what we discussed at the roadshow was actually how different Northern Ireland is. So it was really great to discuss these issues with Ulster University and talk about how, for example, we live and we study in a four day campus, which is very different to the rest of the UK, where students tend to commute and students tend to go home for the weekend can be very difficult for international students to integrate with uh, Irish students as well. So it was great to have that bond with Ulster University and how we can manage this issue, which the rest of the UK don't tend to be suffering from. And in addition to other universities, does Mind Your Mood collaborate with any other organizations or services that are off campus or that are external to Queen's? Yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned previously, we definitely work very closely with Ulster. 
um, they this year they have two interns and they work full time, which is very different to myself who's working part time. So it's great to see how far they have been able to progress the Mind Your Mood campaign. And they're probably a few years ahead of us. So it's great to learn from them because, of course, we're still I'm still very early in my role. And although Mind Your Mood at Queen's has been here since 2013, it's probably not been as uh, central to university life than maybe at Ulster. Now, Ulster seems to have a very close-knit community, which we're trying to kind of bring people together and bring the international students involved, bring postgraduates involved, bring bring residential students involved, commuters as well. So we're trying to replicate that on our on our campus as well. So it's great to see how, you know, just even last Friday when we were meeting them, they were doing some fundraising events and they were abseiling down from Belfast campus. So it's just great to see all the ideas they have and how we can discuss those and hopefully make Mind Your Mood not just big on either campus, but together as a whole within Northern Ireland. And... Eilish, what would you say is the most challenging part of the role for you? Honestly, it's because there's not enough time in the day. So like I said, I only work 10 hours a week. And honestly, I'm such a perfectionist and I'm so organized that even if I had every hour under the sun, I don't think it would be enough time at all. Um, that probably says something about me rather than manual mood. But um, yeah, I just love the role. It's definitely challenging. You're definitely talking about very sensitive topics and it is very hard to then sometimes relax afterwards and create that distance between work and between home life and also student life. It, you know, it needs to be stressed the fact that I'm still a student and I sometimes have to sit in the same classrooms as students that maybe the wellbeing team are helping and we're putting events on for students generally. But also it's very important to look after my own wellbeing. And that was the most important thing that I discussed in our first committee meeting was that your well-being is what we are discussing. Student well-being, you're a student. This is our well-being as a whole, as a collective. Um, and I said, you're going to be volunteering during the exam period. If you need to take time out to do your revision, if you need to take time out just to go to the park for a walk with your friends or go to the cinema, that's absolutely fine. Your well-being is vital to this campaign being successful. So on that note, Eilish, what do you do to wind down after a particularly challenging day? How how do you self-care and what um, what tips might you have for others? The irony is that it's something I definitely struggle with um, and I'm definitely working on it. It's challenging, like I said, because I'm balancing my work, my studies and my home life. But to be honest, I love being busy. Like that is where... I just, I love having a packed day. I love having something to do and always keep my mind busy as well. Um, but the wellbeing team have always stressed the importance of putting my studies first. So for example, we've already discussed that during the summer when I'll be writing my dissertation that I will reduce my hours. So I think that's very important for all students who work as well as study, need to have these conversations with their bosses because most of the time, if not all the time, they are more than willing to be flexible. Um, also, I've promised myself to never check my emails while at home. You've almost got to physically have that distance from your work life to your home life. So it's just being aware, I think, completely being aware of what my triggers are when I'm overtired, when I've stretched myself too far. But on how I relax, 
I, you know, I've only been here in Belfast for since September, so I'm still getting used to the city. I love exploring the city, seeing, you know, the beautiful parks that are out. I'm looking forward to the summer where it'll be a bit nicer to go out for long walks. I love learning about the history of the city and the politics. But most of all, I love having an early night at home. I love putting my pyjamas on, having a cup of tea, and that's how I relax for me. It's seeing my friends, but also coming home and kind of having me time where there's nobody else. I can shut the door and that's how I relax. So it is about practicing what we preach. And sometimes we forget that, I think, definitely. But I am definitely working on it. So Eilish, if people would like more information about Mind Your Mood, how do they contact you or get in touch? Yeah, of course. You can drop us an email, mindyourmood at qub.ac.uk and we would love as many people who would love to be involved in the campaign to come forward. Great. Well, thank you. And I'll hand it over to you now, Eilish, uh, for your interview with John Finnegan, Queen's Safe and Healthy Relationships Advisor. Hi, John. Thanks for taking the time out and joining us in our discussion about student mental health and well-being. I was wondering if you could spend a few minutes introducing yourself and your role at Queen's University Belfast. Absolutely. Um, so I'm a student wellbeing advisor, open brackets, safe and healthy relationships, close brackets. Uh, and my post was created in 2017. Okay, so uh, the majority of my day would be seeing students in terms of their wellbeing and their mental health. Uh, but I would also see students in terms of safe and healthy relationships. So that's any students affected by sexual misconduct, uh, hate crime, bullying and harassment. What support does the university offer to the reporting and the responding students? Do they offer in the level of advice you can give either student? So I'm glad you asked that. We have two types of students. We have a reporting student and a respondent student. So the reporting student is any student that has been affected by sexual misconduct and wishes to report that to the university. Reporting student is any student who has been accused um, and we offer equal support to both students. Um, so either myself or one of our safe and health relationship advocates would meet with either student, particularly if it's a student on student case. Okay, and we would provide equal support. It's difficult if it's a police matter, we can't get involved. Obviously the police investigation has to take kind of precedent, um, but we can certainly offer wellbeing support and emotional support to both students. How does a student report? What is the procedure that the student has to go through? Okay, so we've just actually launched our online live reporting tool, which is called Report and Support. And students can go on there and they can either do an anonymous report or they can do a direct report. That comes through the wellbeing service and then we will reach out to the student and offer support. There still is opportunities for the student to kind of either to ring in through student wellbeing or to send an email. Uh, but we're trying to direct other students towards the support uh, website. Um, and there there's support articles on there as well where they'll be able to get information um, in relation to kind of sexual misconduct, bullying and harassment and hate crime. You mentioned earlier about the advocates. What is their role? What do they bring to the team? Okay, so again, we recruited, uh, I think we have 14 uh, safe and health relationship advocates and they're staff members across the university. Um, we recruited those last uh, July and they've been trained to kind of deal with students and work with students in terms of kind of sexual misconduct, bullying and harassment. Um, so their role really is to meet with students on a one-to-one -one basis and offer that support um, in line with myself and I, I provide supervision and support to the, to the advocates. As a man, do you think your job brings up any specific challenges? If yes, how do you overcome them? Okay, I suppose I'm, I'm very conscious of being a male working in a particularly female uh, environment. Um, when a student comes forward, we offer support either to see a male or a female. I'm very conscious around that support. 
Um, I would see myself as a male ally. I've been working in this field now for 10 years. Uh, my background is working with, with young people in the care system, working with survivors of abuse. Uh, I'm very passionate about that and supporting uh, young people around that. Um, and I, I think as a male as well, it's important that you know we reach out and challenge, challenge other male behaviour as well. So that's something I'm very, very passionate about. And what does a normal working day for you look like? How much of your day is discussing and seeing students face to face? Uh, majority of my uh, my role is, is student facing, so I'll, I'll see students on a daily basis, whether that's through our daily drop-in, which runs from 12.30 to 1.30 every day in the Student Guidance Centre. Um, we also have one-to-one -one appointments, so we will offer students a longer appointment. and. Uh, Quite often I would have one or two students per day I would see and that can be either just generally through uh, student well-being or it can be a safe and healthy relationship case. Um, the rest of the day I'll be spending either kind of doing notes or reaching out offering support and advice to our teaching colleagues or I may be doing um, like a placement talk or some sort of talk to students as well so quite a varied role across across the day. You mentioned earlier that you've always had this passion for consent and mental health. Why do you think you have this passion? Um, I suppose really just, like I said, my background is in youth work, so it's always been about helping and supporting people and helping people see that actually they have the resources inside and internally to kind of support themselves. And sometimes it just takes someone to be able to kind of listen and really, really listen to someone and, and kind of help them and assist them. So that's what I've been doing all my life. and. Hopefully I continue to do that in the, in the near future as well. Are the challenges any different from the ones you experience working in youth work than at university? Um, not really. No, it's the same same kind of things that we would see. So it's particularly around mental health. Uh, and again, it's, it's about listening. It's about listening to students. Quite often we will see students coming through and they'll be very anxious. Um, they'll be having issues with mental health. So it's really about saying, you know, we all have mental health. Um, we all need to look after our mental health, just like our physical health. Um, and it's really about just really tapping into actually what our, our resources are, what our strengths are. Um, particularly the young people that I worked with previously, you know, there would have been a lot of resilience there. They would have had to deal with a lot of adversity. And it's similar with students that I see today. And it's, it's, that's the kind of the rewarding part when you can see that people um, are using that resilience and kind of getting, getting through. What is your long-term aim as the Safe and Healthy Relationships Advisor? By this time next year, what would you like to achieve in your role? Okay, uh, I suppose we've had a three-year kind of plan, a three-year strategy. Um, so really the first part of that was about raising awareness, raising awareness that the service was there. Um, in 2017, the Student Union conducted a piece of research um, called the Standing Together Report, and that identified that um, quite a lot of students had actually experienced sexual assault on campus. Um, and first of all, they didn't know where to go to. And secondly, they weren't aware that potentially it was a crime as well. So part of our role has been kind of creating that pathway for students to be able to come through and receive that support. And we're not really about duplicating any external support that's out there. So it's really about listening to students and signposting them to external services, such as the Rowan Centre or Nexus or Women's Aid. Um, so really that's that's part of the role. Um, so that's been the first part and we've we've started to establish that now and raise awareness. Um, it's really important to get our online reporting tool up and running as well so that students had an access, accessible point where they could come and report. 
Um, the plan going forward then is really to raise awareness with staff and also to create that kind of capacity within staff because the potential is that any student could go to any staff member and disclose. So it's about giving the staff that confidence and the skills to be able to kind of manage that and also for the staff to know how they can report that as well to the university. So the plan going forward over the next uh, 12 months will really be to um, set up online training for staff and face-to-face training for staff as well. One of the other things that I'm involved in is awareness raising. So you might have noticed that there was consent bus this year that kind of toured the Holy Lands uh, during, during St. Patrick's Day. We also have our bystander training program. So again, that's really about assisting people to kind of step in in a safe way when they can see, when they can see untowards behaviour. Um, and we're going to be rolling that out again over the year. Can you explain the Consent Roadshow bus and did you learn anything from having these discussions with students who maybe had never had these discussions previously? Absolutely, yeah, no, it, was, it was very effective. Um, again, just to explain, so we had a, a party bus and we, we uh, toured kind of the Holy Lands during the week before St Patrick's Day and we encouraged students to come on board. There was uh, information around consent, there was videos such as the tea consent video um, and it was really just about starting to have those conversations. And the learning, I suppose, from that was that students were saying, we don't get this opportunity to talk about consent. And particularly through schools, it is an ad hoc process, you know, where students will learn about consent and relationships. Some will learn about biology and not actually the difficulties around relationships and consent and having those conversations. So again, that was really the purpose, was to start having that debate. And certainly with the No Grey Zone campaign that was run last year through the police and our own students' union, again, it is. It's about starting to raise awareness with students, allowing them to have those conversations around consent, which I think is really important. Why do you think the cup of tea video is so effective? I think because it's short. And it's relatable, you know, everyone drinks tea, drinks coffee, drinks water. So you can kind of relate it to that. Um, and it's very effective. I think the fact that it's animated as well is, is very good. But just the messaging in it, it's just saying that consent is it's not black and white. In your opinion, how did the rugby rape trial affect conversations of consent in Northern Ireland? It was very difficult during the trial. I know, speaking with friends, everyone was, was talking about the trial. And it was very difficult to get away from that. And it, I find it find it very difficult myself. Um, in terms of after the trial, I think it has been positive, kind of the reaction that we've had, um, particularly in Justice Gillen's review. So hopefully things will improve. And certainly from police and from our charity partners, they're saying that they've had an increase in referrals since the rugby trial. So I suppose that's been, been heartening as well then to see that. How do you wind down and relax after a particularly traumatic and challenging day? How do you create a balance between your work life and your home life? And do you think this is easy to do? It can be difficult. And I think it's, it's about learning that, about practising that, practising self-care. I think particularly within student wellbeing, it's about practising what we preach. So in terms of myself, it is really about having that discipline and having that self-care particularly after a challenging day. So we'll have opportunities to go and speak with colleagues, to debrief. Um, we have external supervision as well. But I think for me, it's it's really about doing those other activities. So whether that's kind of yoga or meditation um, or just spending time with my family, you know, that, I think that's really important about having that kind of time. And I think also about separating that. So particularly I have a, a kind of goal in terms of when I leave work, when I get past a certain area, then I forget, I, I forget about work and I move on and then it's, it's about thinking about the rest of the day. 
And finally, with the exam period quickly approaching, do you have any advice for the students on how to prepare for their essays and exams in a healthy yet productive way? Absolutely. You know, I appreciate it. It's, it's a very stressful time for students and certainly I see that through through the well-being, through the drop-in. Um, students are very stressed. So really, again, it's back to kind of seeing mental health similar to their physical health. Um, stress is good at sometimes, you know, um, so it's about them accepting that, but also practicing that self-care. And, you know, I have a saying about, you know, it's okay not to be okay. So it's about just giving themselves permission sometimes just to take an hour out and to take half an hour out, to go for a walk, go for a coffee and do all those important things as well as studying um, and really just breaking things down into manageable chunks. Um, and they will get there as well, you know, and I, I think that's through the resilience and through that adversity, you know, people get stronger and um, and people do get their degrees. So it's, it is, it's just about taking that time to kind of look after themselves as well. And that's certainly the message that we get across in student wellbeing. Thank you, John. That was a great discussion. Thank you. Well, thank you again to Eilish Cox and John Finnegan. Eilish is a master's student in the program in conflict transformation and social justice, and also an intern with Mind Your Mood. John Finnegan is Queen's Safe and Healthy Relationships Advisor. Just to remind, Queen's Student Wellbeing Service offers a drop-in service every weekday during term time from 12.30 to 1.30 p.m. You can also contact the Wellbeing Service at 028-9097-2893 or by email at studentwellbeing.com at qub.ac.uk. As well as the support offered from the Student Wellbeing Service, there are a number of external support services recommended as well. These include Inspire, The Samaritans, and Lifeline, all which offer free 24-hour support with trained counselors. Your local out-of-hours GP and hospital services can also offer support. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of MPOD. Our student producer today was Eilish Cox, and our sound technician and editor is Stephen Mullen. The original music is by Emily Sharash. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Our next episode on the topic of gun violence will be released later in May. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at QUBMPOD. Again, that's at QUBMPOD. MPOD is a production of the Senator George J. Mitchell Institute for Global Peace, Security, and Justice at Queen's University Belfast. Once again, I'm Julie Norman. Thank you for listening.